This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. We're waiting. 
just invite you to open your Bibles or grab your devices that have uh, version and open them to 1 Samuel chapter 14 and just follow along as we work our way through a good part of, of that chapter. It's always super interesting to me to see how human beings, or I guess we're officially called homo sapiens, it's interesting to to me, how people react in such different ways to the same circumstance. This has been clearly illustrated over the past two months with the coronavirus crisis. On one side, you have people that way before the governor issued orders to stay at home and quarantine, they were already doing it. They're probably the ones that had snatched up all of the toilet paper from Walmart and the grocery stores and dollar store and Amazon and and they'd basically lock their doors, refuse to answer the doorbell, pull the blinds. They just hunkered down, isolating themselves from the world to make sure that they stayed safe. And if they happened to hear about or see pictures on social media of a gathering that had 11 people instead of the allowable 10 or less, they were inclined to call the authorities to report them. They were rule keepers. And, and in fact, they were so careful that if their husband or wife went to the grocery store, they pretty much wanted them to quarantine in the barn for the next two weeks. And I've seriously heard of cases almost that bad. But then you have the other side. Same deadly coronavirus. But their reaction was to laugh. And they they scoffed at the precautions, and, and they made fun of people who wore masks, gloves. And they said, well, you know, I, I've got to die of something. Might as well be this. And, and um, some of them still truly believe the government is just using the coronavirus to take away our rights and to take away our religious freedoms. Or, or some of them believe that 5G technology has caused this or that scientists created this virus and it escaped the laboratory. So again, same virus, two vastly different responses. Our differences are also highlighted when we hear that a winter storm is headed our way. And and thanks to technology, many times we now have a two to three day notice before the storm hits where we are. But, But people start counting down when it's a couple of states away and they go to the store, get extra flashlight batteries and Candles, I don't know, can you buy candles like, like we used to, except those scented candles, and extra bread, and bottled water, and peanut butter, and jelly, and probably more toilet paper, and, and then they kind of park their carcass in front of the weather channel and wait for it to hit. But then on the other side are, are those who get excited about our winter storm, but not for the same reason, and they're excited because they love the thrill of a good snowstorm, and they can hardly wait to get out in it, and they will venture out and and try to find an empty parking lot so they can do donuts. Not eat donuts, but do donuts. And of course, I won't tell you which side I'm on, but again, the same snowstorm, two different reactions. One more personal illustration here. I found that there are two different responses to a gas gauge that gets below half a tank. I I don't know how many of you, um, when the gas gauge barely gets below half a tank, you fill up with gas. Anybody, you know, wherever you are, just raise your hand. If that's you, you you don't like for it to get below half a tank. Your gas gauge has probably never seen three-eighths of a a tank before. 
Yeah, I, I see those hands going up right now. But, but, but how many of you, when you're driving and the little light comes on indicating that you have 30 miles or so left on the tank, you feel fully confident that you can drive another week? Raise your hands. Yeah, my wife is right over there. She is raising her hand. That is her. You are sick people. Uh, let me tell you up front, I, I'm a risk taker, but I'm not a drive-on-empty type of guy. I remember one time when my wife and I were coming back from Michigan. We'd been to see her parents, and, and we had driven about 12 hours. We were a little east of Collins, about 25 miles of home on the home stretch. And, you know, a little bit of background information on us. We are hardcore travelers, and, and sometimes for a 12-hour trip, we will stop once, maybe twice. And, and during that stop, we, we buy gas, we go potty, we... We grab something to eat, and if you have a small bladder, you will not like our style of travel. But anyway, that day we were bucking a terrible headwind, and so our, our, our gas mileage wasn't as good as normal. And, and close to Collins, our gas light came on, and my dear wife said, Joe, we can make it. This is my car. I know my car. And at that time, she was driving about 600 miles a week. And so she said, we're fine. The gas light just came on, so we've got at least 30 miles left. It's only 25 miles home. Trust me, we should have five miles to spare. Well, I tried to trust her, but you know, I, I was nervous because it's not like there are a lot of gas stations between Collins and Eldo. And those of you that don't know, you're from, uh, you know, a ways away. Uh, we're, we're in the middle of nowhere. And uh, so no gas stations at all between uh, Collins and Eldorado Springs. Well, after driving a, a few more miles, the little computer that tells you how many miles before you run out of gas began to go down really fast. It started jumping down by two and three miles at a time, and by then I was starting to break out in a cold sweat. After about eight to ten miles, all of a sudden the warning light that had been solid red started blinking, which worried me even more, especially when my dear wife, Faith, the queen of running on empty, said, uh-oh, I've never seen that before. And it's as if almost every time that light would blink, I could hear it say, idiot, 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 idiot. Well, the next thing that happened in the sequence of events is that little screen that tells you how many miles you have left hit zero, flatlined. The engine was still running, but I knew that any minute the engine would spit, sputter, stop. And I quickly calculated, would you believe, we were about halfway between Eldorado Springs and, and Collins, so I knew it would be about a 10-mile walk. Either way. And, and, and frankly, I did not feel the fruit of the Spirit. You know, love, joy, peace, all that stuff you're supposed to have. Was there love? No way. Joy? You kidding. Peace? Absolutely not. Gentleness? Not even close. Well, I slowed down to about 50 miles an hour, and I started throwing trash out the window and anything else I could find to lighten our load, and not, not really, but, but, but just so you know, my hair is gray, and that is the reason. Otherwise, I would have still had dark, dark hair were it not for that one event. But Now, what, what's funny is that I'm a risk taker by, by nature, but I honestly would rather have a close encounter with a rattlesnake than to drive a few miles with the gas light on. And maybe it's because of when I was in college, I worked my way through uh, college by driving a school bus, and one day while I was on one of my runs, I ran out of gas. I, I think I was on I-35, 
talk about embarrassing, and I'm, I'm still in therapy for that right there, but, but here the gas warning computer flatlined. I wanted to blow up at Faith and tell her how she had lied to me and how liars go to hell, and, but God was so merciful, and we were able to go the last 10 miles or so with that computer saying we had run out of gas. Now, here's what I want to get across, is that during that whole experience, we had two different reactions. I was agitated. My face was red. I was a nervous wreck. My wife, on the other hand, the queen of driving on empty, was as cool as a cucumber. I think she enjoyed watching my reaction. Same situation, two responses. So today in our lesson, we will study two men who faced a situation. It was a major situation. It was a major challenge. And even though it wasn't a highly contagious virus, yet it could have very easily brought about the deaths of tens of thousands of people. These two men that we will study had two completely different reactions to the same challenge. Now, here was the setting. The Philistines, or Philistines, or Philistines, however you choose to say it, they were godless, they were ruthless, they were cruel, they hated the nation of Israel, and they had positioned themselves to attack Israel. The Bible says they had 3,000 chariots and they had 6,000 charioteers, which maybe would be the equivalent today of having 3,000 fighter jets and and 6,000 well-trained pilots. And the Bible says that the Philistine soldiers were as numerous as the sand on the seashore. And these two men that reacted differently to this major challenge, if, if, if you grew up in church, you've heard of both of them. They were a father and son. The father was the first king of Israel. His name was Saul. The son is Saul's oldest son named Jonathan. So let's see what lessons we can learn from this scripture, which will give us some clues on how to continue to navigate our way through this pandemic. But really, it's, it's about helping us deal with other challenges. And so if this morning you're feeling any amount of stress or anxiety, fear, depression, crankiness, if that's you, and probably it's all of us right now, I believe God has something for us today. Let's read 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 2, and then we'll, in a little bit we'll come back and, and read verse 1. But 1 Samuel 14, verse 2. Meanwhile, Saul and his 600 men were camped on the outskirts of Gibeah. And this is really significant. We'll keep coming back to this phrase. Around the pomegranate tree at Migron. Verse 3, among Saul's men was Ahijah, the priest, who was wearing the linen ephod. Ahijah was the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother. Ahitub was the son of Phinehas and the grandson of Eli, the priest of the Lord who had served at Shiloh. Now, let me point out a couple of things that are very significant. Saul is camped right outside of a place called Gibeah. He's surrounded by 600 of, of the best trained, best equipped soldiers that Israel had. Now, there are other soldiers in the area, but 600 of the elite forces, the special forces, are surrounding Saul to keep him safe. 
But not only does Saul have a well-trained army around him, he also had a priest that traveled with him to the battlefront. Now, in those days, it was not uncommon for a priest to accompany the army. But the priest was not there like a modern-day chaplain. And, and the army has modern-day chaplains, and, and they're there to give some encouragement, maybe say a quick prayer for someone that's down or for the troops before heading out to battle. But this priest with an ephod, and an ephod was a special garment, typically worn by priests when they would go to God and ask for a specific direction. In those days, the, the role of a priest with an ephod would be to seek God's will, God would speak to this priest whether or not the army should go to battle uh, against the enemy. If they should, what should be their approach? A, a, a frontal attack or, or divide up and attack from the front and then surprise them with another attack from behind them. Um, but having a priest with an ephod was like having inside information because God would speak to the priest and say, yes, attack no, no, hold off or give further instructions. So as the Philistines were getting ready to attack Saul, Saul should have been fairly confident. He had a good army. He had a priest with an ephod to get the will of God, inside information. But what does Saul do? Well, it appears that as he looked at the Philistine army and, and saw how big they were and how strong they were, it's almost as if he became paralyzed with a sense of fear and and he totally forgot that God had promised to fight their battles for them. It was not about matching up soldier for soldier or, or chariot for chariot or charioteer for charioteer. God didn't need numbers for battle to win the battle. He had let them know that. He just needed a king. He needed a country that would obey God Jehovah and follow him. But Scripture says that despite God promising to fight their battles for them, what did Saul do? That, that phrase that I pointed out to you, Saul sat under a pomegranate tree. That was his reaction to the crisis. He just sat there. And I ask the question for you, I really want you to consider what would have been your responses. And your response to that challenge is probably your response to the challenges you face now. Do you just sit there, overwhelmed with fear, anxiety, discouragement, and so you don't do anything at all? That was Saul. What about Jonathan? Well, you know, he was facing the same situation, the same crisis, the same challenge. But his response was so different. Let's read about it. We're going to backtrack and hit 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 1. One day, Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Come on, let, let's go over to the, where the Philistines have their outpost. But Jonathan did not tell his father what he was doing. I wonder why he didn't tell his dad. Let's skip down to verse 6. Let's go across to see those pagans. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, and here's another key phrase. Perhaps the Lord will help us. For nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle whether he has many warriors or only a few. Now, can I give you Trussell's paraphrase here? And, 
in, in my, my devotions right now, I've, I've, I've never read through the Message Bible, um, but, but I'm doing that right now, just the Old Testament. And, and I love the way that Eugene Peterson uh, has, has paraphrased uh, different scriptures. But, but here's my paraphrase for what was happening. I think Jonathan was saying this, uh, you know, here the Philistine army is getting ready to attack us. And all we're doing is sitting around feeling sorry for ourselves. Uh, We have a victim mentality of poor me. We keep thinking, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? What did we do to deserve this? If God were a caring God, he wouldn't have allowed this to happen. But it's as if Jonathan was fed up with the feel sorry for ourselves attitude. He was tired of sitting around, moping around, doing nothing. Let me just say a couple of things here before we continue with our lesson. One of the things that I think is hurting our country so much is this same feel sorry for ourselves mentality. You know, we we feel we're victims. So we blame our parents we blame our town, we blame our government, we blame our health, we blame our church, we blame our boss, we blame the weather, we blame this, we blame that, we feel sorry for ourselves. And yes, we all have bad things that we have to deal with. But, but sitting around and feeling sorry for ourselves and feeling like we're always the one that gets the short end of the stick. Always the one picked on. Why is it that all the bad things happen to me? That victim mentality never brings a solution. But Jonathan thought, you know, I'm tired of acting like we've already been defeated. I'm, I'm tired of sitting around this pomegranate tree. It's, it's time for us to get off of our backsides and, and do something. And we will never win the battle just sitting here. And so again, he said, let's go across to see those pagans. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, perhaps the Lord will help us for nothing can hinder the Lord. And and listen to what Jonathan's armor bearer says in verse 7. Do what you think is best, the youth replied. I'm with you completely, whatever you decide. So the armor bearer says, I'm in, let's go for it. That's what I'm talking about. Verse 8. All right then, Jonathan told him, and look at the strategy. We will cross over and let them see us. If they say to us, stay where you are or we'll kill you, then we will stop and not go up to them. But if they say, come on up and fight, then we will go up. That will be the Lord's sign that he will help us defeat them. So, So what happened? Verse 11, when the Philistines saw them coming, they shouted, look, the Hebrews are crawling out of their holes. Then they shouted to Jonathan, come on up here and we'll teach you a lesson. We'll teach you a lesson. And that was all Jonathan needed. And, and he knew that was a sign that God was in it. And so he told, uh, you know, his, his armor bearer said, come on, climb right behind me. For the Lord will help us defeat them. So notice how they were climbing here. They climbed up using both hands and feet. So this is not just a little stroll in the park. This is some serious mountain climbing. And what happened? And the Philistines fell back as Jonathan and his armor bearer killed them right and left. 
They killed about 20 men in all, and their bodies were scattered over about half an acre. So in the first attack, two men, Jonathan, and his armor bearer took care of about 20 men in half an acre area, about, you know, be the size, maybe half of a football field, actually probably a little less than that, maybe a third of a football field. But things got really interesting in verse 15. Suddenly, panic broke out in the Philistine army, both in the camp and in the field, including even the outposts and raiding parties. And this just just then, an earthquake struck, and everyone was terrified. So notice the sequence of events. Number one, Jonathan said, I'm sick and tired of sitting around here with a victim mentality. Let's go pay a visit to the enemy. Perhaps God will show up and help us. Number two, they get there and God lets them know he was indeed sanctioning it. Number three, with God's help, they take care of about 20 men in the first attack. Number four, God takes over. Number five, the cherry on top of everything is that the ground begins to shake and God sends a major earthquake. And remember, it all began with Jonathan, directed by God, basically saying, let's quit sitting around, let's go do something, perhaps God will help. This leads me to say that some of us need to quit sitting around. We've been feeling sorry for ourselves long enough. We need to get up and do something. Some of us need to do something because we're facing a sea of debt. We need to do something with our spending habits. We need to get control of a disease that's called stuffitis. We need to quit sitting there thinking that things are hopeless. We need to talk to someone. Maybe a church staff member. We can team you up with someone to walk you through some biblical financial principles. And, and just kind of a, a piece of advice here. Do you know the way to get control of your financial situation? Let me tell you, follow God's advice in His Word. His Word is very, very comprehensive. First of all, His Word begins to, by telling us to work hard. If a man won't work, he shouldn't eat. We need to be hard workers. God, God's Word also tells us to budget. It says, you know, count the cost of building a tower. That is budgeting. It also says to save. It talks about leaving an inheritance for our children. It talks about living a life of generosity, loving others, honoring others. It talks about the concept of tithing. So maybe some of us need to quit sitting around and we need to do something about our financial situation. Then maybe some of us need to quit sitting around when it comes to our marriage. You know, the tension is getting greater and greater and, and we need to just quit sitting around the pomegranate tree thinking that things are going, need, going to get better and we need to get, take steps to get help, get some counseling, and really the first place to start is by humbling ourselves and admitting that we've been wrong or maybe we've just been a jerk. Some of us need to quit sitting around under the 
pomegranate tree and do something to see a particular relationship restored. And maybe someone treated us dirty and we're just saying, well, I didn't do anything to them. And you know what? Whenever they come to me, we'll talk about it. But you know what? Maybe you need to go to them. And perhaps the ground will shake in that relationship. And God will do what we cannot do and, and restore what seems to be utterly hopeless. Perhaps God will help. Parents, maybe we have a child that's gone astray. Let, let's quit sitting around thinking that there is no hope. You know, as Jonathan did, let's go pick a fight against our spiritual enemy that wants to keep our child in bondage. And let's pray. Let's fast. And believe until the ground in their life will be shaken. And we will see the power of God doing what we cannot do. Some of us need to quit sitting around and we need to do something. We need to do something against the alcohol or the drugs or the prescription abuse that has kidnapped our life. Let's not just sit around a pomegranate tree and feel sorry for our you know, our, our, ourselves. We're, we're not the first ones that have struggled in this area, but we need to begin by admitting it and then seek help. We need to make the phone call. And perhaps God will step in. You know, some of us in the name of the Lord, we need to get up and do something. Just as the Lord stepped in and helped Jonathan and his armor bearer, perhaps the Lord will help us. So again, what was the difference between Saul and Jonathan? They had the same enemy. They had the same challenge. Saul feeling overwhelmed and hopeless just sat under a pomegranate tree. Jonathan, he said, I'm not going to sit here any longer. I'm going to do something. And perhaps God will step in and do something beyond me, and he did. And something that's so amazing about Jonathan is not anything we read about him, but rather it's something that we don't read about him. Do you realize that Jonathan did not do this for his personal benefit? He was not trying to impress his dad. He was not trying to make a name for himself. He was not trying to prepare the way for him to be king after Saul was out of the picture because he knew that God had already anointed David for that. He didn't care who got the honor and glory. He didn't care if he was given credit for the victory. That never entered in his mind. He just knew he had to do something. Sitting there would never defeat the enemy. So as we wrap things up today, what I would like for you to do is to identify the enemy or some of the enemies that you are up against. I believe there are some of you, you're up against the enemy of drugs. I believe there are some of you, you're up against the enemy of prescription drug abuse. I believe there are some of you, you're up against the enemy of alcohol. Some of you are up against the enemy of smoking or pornography. The enemy of a tense, broken relationship. There may be some of you, you're up against the enemy of a weight gain that has become dangerous to your health. May, maybe you're up against the enemy of depression. 
But I also believe that there are some of you, you're up against the enemy of a, of a walk with God that's been fractured. You know who you are, and for quite some time you felt that, you know, you need to do something about it. And you, maybe you've even made comments, I know I'm not where I should be with God. Maybe today is the day that you just quit sitting around and, and say, God, I'm going to take steps to be restored to you. If I put myself in a position to do that, perhaps you will hear me. So I'd like for you to identify the, the enemy, the frustration, the burden in your life. And then I would like for you to do what Jonathan did. Do you remember what Jonathan did? Jonathan got his armor bearer to go with him. What does that mean for us? I believe that means that we should find someone trustworthy, a friend, a confidant that would help walk with you during that battle. We were not created to fight a battle by ourselves. Find a friend that maybe even would not just give you the encouragement, but might hold you accountable. But could I urge us all to quit sitting around and paralyzed by discouragement, a feeling of helplessness, a feeling of hopelessness. But today, would you get up and say, perhaps God will help me today. So as we pray our prayer, whatever it is, whatever that enemy is, and especially if that enemy is distance from God, you've distanced yourself from a close walk with Him, would you take this moment to just put yourself in a position where you can receive forgiveness and be restored back? If my people will humble themselves and confess God says that He will restore us. So right there, wherever you are, in your living room, maybe outside, wherever it is you're, you're watching, listening, would you just humble yourself before God? Perhaps God will come to you and help you right now. Let's pray together. Father, we, we want to just come to you this moment. Lord, we, we thank you that you've included in your word this amazing account. Lord, it illustrates how we react, respond differently to the same challenge. Lord, whenever we're led by you, whenever we take steps of faith, God, you've promised it's not a numbers game. Lord, sometimes the enemy it's, is bigger than we are. Sometimes the situation, the challenge is bigger than we are, bigger than our strength, better, bigger than our capability. But God, we read here where Jonathan said it doesn't matter whether it's few or many, that whenever God comes to our rescue, he wins the battle. And so God, regardless of what the battle is today, whether it's substance abuse, whether it's a relational broken situation. God, whether it's a spiritual situation, I pray that you would just come and come to our rescue. 
Lord, you said perhaps the Lord, but it goes further than that. We know that, Lord, whenever we're walking and desperate to have a close walk with you, we know that you will come to our rescue. And so this week, Father, I pray that we would be different. God, that we would get up. We wouldn't just sit around feeling hopeless and helpless and defeated and discouraged and depressed, addicted. But Lord, I pray that you would help us to get up, put ourselves in a position where you can help us. So Lord, uh, this week as things open up a little bit, God, help us to be careful. But Lord, more than that, I pray that you would help us to walk carefully before you. Perhaps you will help us. Thank you for meeting with us today. We pray this in Jesus' precious and holy name. And everybody said, amen. Thank you for joining us today. I am so excited to see you next week. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.